In today's episode of Board Game Impact, Josh and I do a deep dive into Tapestry by Stonemeyer Games. Welcome to Board Game Impact. If you this is your first time joining Board Game Impact, I want to say welcome. Uh, so what we seek to do here is to combine our love of board games and this hobby that's given us so many great things, as well as our passion and background for our full-time jobs, which is we both work in the field of education and we both apply some like research lenses and like breakdown experiences for our students. And so we combine those two so that way you're going to get the most out of this. My name is Bruce Brown and I am, of course, joined by our co-host. This is Josh Isringhausen. Yeah, so the two of us, um, I am here in Texas, Josh is, Josh is in Colorado, um, and listeners, if you listened to the last episode, we went through kind of this newer format, um, which is actually not something new. So if you've been a listener to the show for a while, this is like back to our roots. This is where the show started. This is what the show started about. This is why Josh and I had a late night conversation the night of his wedding over a couple of drinks to like, let's get back to like what we wanted to do with this, um, which is like really talk about some games in depth. Now, don't get us, get us wrong. We love also sharing what things we're having and going on, but we also want to go, go deep on some games. Um, so how is this going to work? Um, Josh and I both picked a game. Um, and so we've got one game for tonight and then, or today, whenever you're listening to this and this is a deep dive. So we're going to be breaking down this game into different areas, going over the overview. So some stuff about the game, the, how to play interesting notes, um, about the components, talking about the artist, talking about the designer, the publisher, what may be, um, as well as some of the table presence stuff, as well as even like what people are saying about this and pulling out some BGG posts and stuff. So this should be super meaningful. And then we'll wrap up with like our, our personal closing thoughts. So you won't get our personal closing thoughts until the end, but we're going to lay out the picture. So that way you can make up your own informed choices, but then also see, okay, how does that line up with both uh, Josh and Bruce. And so Josh, would you mind doing the honors of sharing what game we're going to do a deep dive of? Cause this is a really controversial one, but also like really exciting one right now. Bruce, this is a game that as we record, this is currently sitting at number three on the hotness on BGG. It is, I think been in the top 10 on a hotness of BGG for, well, since it was announced, yep. um, and this game is Tapestry, designed by Jamie Stegmeier of Stonemeyer Games. Uh, listeners who have been around for a while will recognize Stegmeier and Stonemeyer Games as a frequent topic of discussion on this show, as I speak for myself, and I think Bruce as well. Jamie is one of my favorite designers of all times. Mm -hmm. So very, very excited to have a conversation about this game. It's been something I've wanted to talk about for quite some time. And so listeners, this is the main game we're talking about. So um, we may refer to some other games in this um, because, of course, there are some comparisons and things like that or other games by this designer or artist, etc. Um, but we're really just focusing in on Tapestry. So this should be super exciting for y'all. Um, and so when we do this, we so when we do the like games we've been playing recently, we may have played that game a bunch of times, right? These games we do for the deep dive are games that, either of us has played a bunch of times. Um, that being said, some of these times it might be where only one person has really played it, but the other person is essentially coming in essentially as an interviewer and looking up and doing the research on BGG um, and asking informed questions or sharing perspectives and then having really a discussion about unpacking that game. This game, though, we have both played a number of times and I know I've played it at a bunch of player counts. Um, and so this is one of those things of this is a twofer, um, but it should be a lot of fun. So let's just jump right in. Stonemeyer Games' description of the, of the game. So it says, in Tapestry, you'll start from nothing and advance on any one of four advancement tracks, science, technology, exploration, and military, to earn progressively better benefits. Makes sense as you're advancing in those things. 
Sorry, I'm adding my own commentary there. Um, you can focus on a specific track or take a more balanced approach and you'll improve your income, build your capital city, leverage your asymmetric abilities, earn victory points, and gain tapestry cards, uh, which will then tell the story of your civilization. So tapestry is a... That was the end quote. The tapestry is a civilization game, quote, unquote. Um, and so we'll dig into that here in a minute. Uh, but it is a civilization game that... Jamie Stegmeyer says he's been working on for like the past five years and is finally coming out with it. But Josh, tell me about the wind conditions for this. Absolutely. So wind conditions. So at the end of the game, at the end of the day, this game is a little Euro-y, especially as it relates to your traditional civilization game. Your wind condition really is score the most points as in most Euro games. Um, you are going to score your points as you complete. You'll play score them throughout the game, but mainly your points will come from as you complete eras of your civilization. And once every player has completed their fifth era, um, completed what is called your fifth income, so your first turn is taking an income, your last turn is taking an income, allowing you to complete four eras of the game. When your fourth era is completed, your game is over, and the person who has scored the best is the winner. Sure, and so thank you for that, Josh. Um, so clarification there for the listeners and going into the how to play, you might you could legitimately finish this game in four turns, um, where somebody else has a lot more turns or chooses to advance at different to move to the next era at different times. You choose usually when you run out of resources when to move to your last era or your next era. So how do you play? On your turn, you get one of essentially two choices. One is advance on a track. The other one is take income. Those are your two choices. Now, within the advancing on a track, that's where everything really comes out. But how to play is you really just take one of two choices. And if you're doing the choice that has anything to do with the board, then you're going to spend resources. If you're taking income, you get resources. Um, but what you're essentially trying to do is figure out how can you layer your actions in a way where they're going to synergize and give you the things that you need for later as well as how do you manage your resources so you can make do the most with the limited resources you have. Um, there's two other types of things in the game, and that is your civilization card. So you will start the game with a number of civilization cards. You get to pick one, and those are there where the asymmetric aspects come in. Each of those has their own special powers that can be wildly different. Um, then you have this other part called tapestry cards, uh, which is a card that you would play whenever you advance to the next era um, or based on some other card interaction of the game. Um, and so with that, those things can vary wildly in what they do from nice little bonuses for doing things or a one-time bonus um, or an ongoing effect, etc., cetera, um, or some extra actions you actually get to take, which is really cool. Um, so there's a lot of variability in terms of the civilizations and how they'll interact with all the cards. But in the end, it, I remember how to play is really you make one of two choices. That's really where it is. So, yeah. So, Josh, why don't you talk to us about how this is like you and I both did air quotes about when we said civilization game? Sure. So this game and we'll get into a little bit more about the reception of the game as a whole later on but this game had a lot of people scratching its head their heads when it first came out and that was because jamie stegmeyer did a really really good job of marketing this and he marketed it as a civilization game I think that was probably an error. I think that this is a civilization-influenced game. Sure. Um, Josh, real quick, what do you mean when someone says civilization game? What does that mean to you? So a civilization game, in my mind, is related to the game. I, I think the epitome of a civilization game, in my mind, is... Sid Meier's Civilization on the computer. Um, civilization, you are 
as in this game, advancing through military, technology, culture, you know, exploration, um, largely with the wind conditions, though, of being military, you conquer the world. Culture, you win over everyone else's... Um, Mm-hmm. You 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 surpass everyone so far culturally that they all just buy in. This game, you don't really do any of those things. Um, you advance on all of those tracks, which are tied to your traditional win conditions in a civilization game. You're you are researching technology. Um, you are advancing your civilization on their presence on the board. You are um, trying to influence other people to your kind of whims, but none of those are your win conditions. Those are just ways in which you score points. Um, And at the end of the day, this is really more of a Euro game than what I would consider a civilization game. Um, it has that theme of civilization, um, but that is not the core mechanic of the game. Uh, it is very, very, and I think you kind of talked about this a little bit and, and gave it a very good word. It is very abstracted. Um, your idea of military, you talked about toppling other people's outposts, um, your military advancement is placing these little tokens that are outposts onto the board. And whenever you fight another player, you don't really fight. You just knock their piece over and you put your piece down. Um, and they can't retaliate against you. Um, with the exception of playing a trap card. Um, but that's, you know, medium um in terms of actual interaction um no one else can come in and knock you off of that space only two people or two pawns can occupy a space at any given point in time so it it doesn't really have a lot of the feel of a civilization game outside of the theme um now I don't consider that a knock on the game. There are certainly people who do. I think it was probably incorrectly marketed. I think there was a a disconnect between the marketing strategy for this game and the actuality of the game. Um, I don't think that selling this as a civilization game was the best choice that Stonemeyer Games has ever made. But... Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider this a civilization game as much as I would a Euro game with a civilization theme. Yeah, I think that's well said, and um, I, I I agree with you that the wording might not be the most accurate. More like, honestly, civilization building, or and I'm not even coming up with the right thing here, um, but because it, it is that abstracted, but it is like light and like soft around the edges and super approachable for people. Um, within the tracks themselves. So when you think, when I think of a civilization game, I also think of, huh, yeah, I'm building things in my city and you get to do that. There's actually this sweet thing of if you're the first person to go into the next age of a, one of those tech track, not tech tracks, but the different, um, pieces. So that exploration or science, et cetera, you get these really sweet, high plastic rubber things um, that are fully painted that you get to build into your little capital city. Um, And yes, we're going to talk more about the components in a minute, but you get to have these things and you're literally building a little city, but you're also like exploring this board. But for me, I think for it to be a Civ game, the fact that the victory conditions have nothing to do with how my civilization did on any of those tracks speaks volumes to me. So if I make it to space, and that's not a finishing thing, um, if I am super advanced in terms of my technology or by our science or our warfare, and we've quote-unquote conquered the board, which you can't really do, um, I think that would do it for me. I honestly think for this game, for the civilization aspect, you're just kind of building it, but you never arrive. Um, 
at it, just to put it out there. So when you're doing these different things, so on the military track, there's a spot where it's like, oh, you have tanks. Um, and so that's just what that militaristic thing of toppling somebody over is called, where later that might be called, you have um, drones, uh, and you can do a drone strike, which is just toppling the other thing over. So they have all these terms on top of them. However, they have nothing really to do with the action. Um, They just exist. Um, But if it were an actual civilization, civilization game, like I would actually build tanks. I would build drones for my drone air force base, et cetera. Um, So it's super abstracted. Like those things are there, but they're there. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I would miss them if they weren't there. Um, No. Yeah. I wouldn't just, they could be called anything else that has to do with a warfare S thing or whatever the thing relates to. And I completely get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say, you know, probably one of the, uh, challenges to the, or I guess a barrier to this game. And, and it's, it is honestly one of the reasons why, and I'll just come out and say this listeners. I, think this is a fantastic game design i really really love this game despite all of the things that we are saying right now that may sound negative i think this is a phenomenal game i just think that the marketing was not what it should have been yeah and i want yeah and i just want to just echo and then i want you to go into your thing i echo that i think it's a really good game i just don't want you to think it's something that it's not and so we're trying to essentially do our psa before going into everything else Yes, 100%. I think that we are trying, this is in part correcting the error that was made in the marketing of what this game was going to be, which this game was sold to a lot of people as a civilization game that could be played in under two hours with a four-page rule book. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I don't think that is possible. Yeah. I don't think you can really capture the essence of what a civilization game is with a four page rule book. Um, civilization games are designed to be intricate and detailed and complex and all of these things that building a civilization are. And you can't boil that down to a four-page rule book. Yeah, I agree. Um, I appreciate what they tried to do. And I'm going to put out the challenge of like, if you could design one, go for it. Great. Uh, please do. Take a stab. But it's almost like we were talking in the last episode. Go listen to that, listeners. And we were talking about your experience with Lisboa and like a Vitala Sarda game where it has that like meaty, crunchy, and there's a lot going on. That's what I associate with civilization. It's going to take up a lot of brain power because guess what? I'm running a country, <laughs> right? Um, but let's dig into some other things. So the art on this is great. It's pretty much beautiful. Um, I love the colors they did with it. Josh, you brought up a great point about the artist that I think you should share. Absolutely. Um, you're you're 100% correct. I, I think the art on this is just phenomenal. Um, and the artist on this game, sorry, give me two seconds, yep. is Andrew Bosley um, with Ron Brown um, sculpted some minis. We'll talk about those Mm -hmm. here in a second. But the actual artwork um, that is on your player boards on the, you know, the world map and and on your civilization cards, all of that, that is all done by Andrew Bosley. And Andrew Bosley is known most for his work with Everdell, um, which is a really, really phenomenal game. One that I absolutely love. I just backed the expansions on Kickstarter and and really, really love that game. Um, Everdell has some phenomenal artwork and tapestry. He did not disappoint here as well. Um, something I thought found very interesting, though, is that there is also a little bit of a mechanical similarity between Everdell and tapestry in that in Everdell, you move through seasons and not everyone's season ends at the same time. 
and not everyone waits for you don't wait for everyone to catch up to you. Um, just like in tapestry, not everyone's era ends at the same time. Some people, and you can think about this in real world context of not every civilization reached the bronze era at the same time. Not every civilization reached the iron era at the same time. That didn't stop the progression of other civilizations. It just, you were moving on to another kind of era in time. Um, and so that I think is something that the theme and the mechanics really did link well together. Um, it is certainly borrowed from another game and something interesting that I find with tapestry is that a lot of mechanics are borrowed from other games and put into this really unique game system that utilizes a lot of different mechanics that mm -hmm. make for such an interesting gameplay. Um, but as Bruce mentioned, the, the artwork in this is, is, is just fantastic. Yeah. So Josh, you brought up a good point about those mechanics. And I, before moving on to more of the art stuff and components, I think I need to lean into what you said. And that is, I think that when you look at tapestry, it actually it weaves together a bunch of different types of mechanics in an elegant fashion. Without a doubt, I feel like tapestry absolutely does that. It weaves them into this nice tapestry of things that are going on. And I don't know if that's also what he was alluding to with that besides just the cards, but I think that is absolutely there. And I think that I did not want to miss that because that was very well said. So mm -hmm. kudos on that. Um, so the table presence with this, we've already talked a lot about the art, um, a little bit about the art. So th there's also like different animations on some of the cards. They're all really great. The civilization cards, y'all, the art on them is like phenomenal. Um, I sometimes feel that I am actually looking at what that civilization would look like at the start of that civilization or what I can picture for that. So the futurist is this like science person looking off into the distance with like rockets going off behind them. The military militaristic one is where they're like on it, riding a tank. The, the mystics are like looking over this like cauldron type thing. The, there's another one where they're like gallivanting in a forest. And it's like, that makes sense. Or the entertainers are more like a geisha style. So I just thought that was really cool. Um, this thing will super pop at your game night. Um, it'll take up like the entire table. Um, in order to fit everything on, we could not just have it where it was like parallel to us. We had to have it at an angle. So we tilt the, we tilted the board um, so it was a, like a 45-degree angle to us. So that way um, we could fit in our player boards because you're going to have your player board. You're going to have your civilization card to the next of it. And then you're also going to have your capital city to the right of that. So you're going to take up a lot of real estate because you're also going to put cards around that. Um, but on top of that, I talked before about those different types of buildings you can get, and you actually have little rubber um, or plastic miniatures that are different colors for each of those. So you've got a bunch of them already on your player board, um, and you're going to be moving them, hopefully, to your capital city. And then you've got these phenomenally gorgeous little miniatures that are fully painted. Um, and there's three for one, three for each of the tracks and then a whole bunch of them, like I think it's like seven or so that are tied to specific technology cards for if you're able to level up your technology to certain levels, you get access to those buildings and you're the only one that could build that building. Um, so the components in this are like out of the park. Honestly, that's part of why this game co does come with a sort of hefty price tag. Um, I believe the MSRP is $100. And then if you were to pre-order this game through Stonemeyer's website, which is which was the first like 10,000 copies, um, which sold out in like six hours, I want to say, um, they were selling them at 20% off. So you got them for 80. Um, but like this thing will absolutely stand out at your game day. Um, it doesn't really take up a lot to set it up though, which is great because usually when there's a lot of components, it takes forever to set stuff up. You can fit it all back in the box real easy, but also set it up real fast. So yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I just want to give a, a a quick word here on those miniatures. One, I think they're gorgeous. I think they're fantastic. Agreed. They're very, very well done. Um, I mentioned the the there are two artists on this game. Andrew Bosley did the actual art, but those miniatures were designed by a I want to say New Zealand artist, um, Ram Brown. And so I just wanted to give credit where credit is due because those miniatures really are a, a key component to this game. And, and we talked a little bit about how there's a lot of borrowing from other um, game designers and game mechanics. Um, Bruce talked a little bit about your city board being this kind of Tetris area where you're building these buildings, um, which very much and, and Jamie Stegmeier talks about this extensively that that is directly from a feast for odin um a, a game that we've talked about in the past i believe um at, as an influence and something that he really wanted to incorporate in a game and saw this idea for this tetrising of a civilization city um trying to stay within the confines of the geography in which that city is being built um as as a very big motivation for this um bruce i also wanted to jump back briefly to um you mentioned the the idea behind the game um uh, i think it is interesting that you talked about this being a tapestry of um of mechanics um, but, but one of the things that was interesting about the launch of this game was Jamie's design diary, as he called it, which was a regular posting on his social media, as well as on the website about kind of what this game was, which led to a lot of hype. And, and I think we'll come to talking about that shortly, but, um, he mentioned why tapestry is the name of this game. Um, and he talked about the influence of, um, going to a museum and seeing these gorgeous tapestries, like actual tapestries, depicting the history of these families and houses in the medieval era. Um, and so he wanted to incorporate that idea of telling a story through artwork into this game design of explaining and showing how your civilization expanded over the course of time through these tapestry cards, through these visual representations of the type of civilization you would utilize. And I thought that was a really, really elegant yeah. way to incorporate personal passion with game design. Yeah, I love that. And honestly, I mean, Jamie's really great about connecting with the listeners. He does a weekly live stream at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time every single week. And so it doesn't surprise me that he shared some personal things because he's even sharing about like his dating life right now and like having a serious relationship while running a game company. But I think that's beautiful of like where that inspiration comes from. And like, cause I remember growing up in New York and going down to different museums and things like that and how that stood out with me. But I didn't realize that about this. I missed that designer update. So like, thanks for sharing that. I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, something important to bring up though, is like what it brought out in other players slash myself. Um, and then we'll get into some of that hype stuff and other things of note before we go into what some other people are saying. Um, so what it brought out in some others is like, this sense of first, like when they're first learning it, like, Oh, there's all these symbols and stuff. Cause it gets rid of text. Obviously it does a four page rule book and really focuses in on using these symbols to explain what the thing is. Right. Um, it's not text-based, it's symbol based. And there's not a lot of symbols, but you have to learn it. And then once you learn it, like you're golden and it's not that much to learn, honestly, it's really not. But how the flow of the game works is a new thing. It's some new mechanics. If you've never played Everdell, um, then you're not going to be potentially used to this whole thing of, oh, I could be in this age while you're in a different era, right? I could be in this era while you're in a different era. Or I'm finishing and you still have like 10 more turns. That happened. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes I was the person with more turns than the other person. Um, or I was the first person advancing into a different era, which got you actually more resources for being the first one in. It's not just like, oh, you're there first, so you have less of a game. No, you actually get extra resources for getting in there first. Um, but what it brought out for me, though, is I did feel with the military, like I wanted to be able to fight back. And so I couldn't always, couldn't usually do that. Um, I never personally ever drew its trap card in any of my plays. I don't know how that's happened. I've never gotten a trap card, um, period. Um, but that's just like luck of the draw. Um, so there's also that to it too, um, with when you have that many cards. Um, and so with this, I feel that I have done the, each time I've played, like, I feel like I've made good choices. I've been proud of the board I made that I made, um, and like confident in what I did. And sometimes though, I was left scratching my head of like, I don't know how you are still able, still going. Um, and I'm trying, like I was, it's a game that had me thinking of like, how could I have done that better? And sometimes I draw blanks and sometimes like, Oh, I could have leaned in on these parts. Um, and so it definitely had me thinking about it of what could I have improved, but also feeling proud of what I did accomplish, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, you know, something I think that is very interesting about this game and something that I've seen is the, you know, I, I played this most recently, uh, just a couple days ago. And when we were playing me and one other person in their game ended pretty relatively quickly. And we sat there and we were thoroughly convinced looking at the rest of the track that that we were going to win and and I say we because we ended up scoring exactly the same points and we tied on the tiebreaker in which case you share the victory so we were thoroughly convinced we were sharing a victory um we actually left the room to go grab a drink and came back five ten minutes later and found that the player who had taken the longest had surpassed us by a good 20 points Mm. Um, that, you know, they had scored about a hundred points in one era. Yep. Um, So there's some really, really interesting swings in terms of, of points and how you score and those types of things. Um, I, I think that's really neat and really interesting. Uh, You know, I, I like the fact that at no point in this game can one person say that they are completely out of it twice. Now I have played this game where someone who was way behind going into their fourth era came back and won the game Yep, because they, they were able to build their engine in a way that, you know, they didn't score a lot of points early on, but they were setting themselves up for huge points late game. Yeah. And that's a good point. So, but the key to that is like, you can't, this is not a game where you're going to be able to plan out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You can sometimes you can have a general idea, but you have to be willing and okay with doing something different. Um, you're not going to be able to do everything deal with it. Um, you're not going to be able to win by really advancing equally on all the tracks. Like it's not how you do that. You have to specialize, but you also have to do diligence. And so there's a give and a take and a risk and reward. And so sometimes someone else is going to do something that's going to throw off your plans. So this is not solo solitaire. Like this, that's not this game. This game does have player interaction um, through the actions you're taking by them getting some benefits before you, or if they're the first one to go into an age, then they're going to get that landmark. There's only one of them. So too bad. Um, and so that's just, you really have to be willing to adapt. Um, and so with all of that, um, kind of let's dig into some of the hype and also that, that swinginess. Um, so I already talked about how there was a window. So Stegmeyer, Stonemeyer games did a window for four days of when they were going to do, do a pre-order. Um, for this at the beginning of September, the game sold out in a couple hours and there was, there was the total of 10,000 copies. And so then it was this whole question of, is there more games that are going to be up for, 
um, in this window, this pre-order window, but there weren't because Jamie had allocated out. He allocated 10,000 games for the pre-order up to. Um, the other ones were already on their way to different distributors to go out to friendly local game stores and things like that, um, or online retailers or his own sale place. And so he was in this quandary of, oh, we said we we're going to have this four-day window, but now it's sold out. What do we do? But obviously, as you can imagine, 10,000 copies selling out in a couple hours, like that is seriously some hype that led into that. And then that's going to come from that. Um, a video that I'm going to encourage you to watch if you haven't already. Um, so Rodney Smith, who is powered by Board Game Geek. Um, and so he's the guy from Watch It Played. He's a wonderful human. Um, get to play games with him at conventions and stuff. So he does a lot of great things for the hobby. Go support him. Check him out. But he made a video um, where he talked about hype. And it was particularly about this game. Um, and talking about hype as well as what it means to be overpowered. Um, so he talked about this game and the hype, but then he also went into overpowered because that is a big part of what some people say about this game and the swinginess, quote unquote, that comes with this. Um, so I encourage you to go watch those two videos over on his channel on Watch It Played. Um, but yeah, so real quick, Board Game Geek races as a 7.6 out of 10. The weight on BGG is a 2.85 out of 5. So pretty much mid medium weight. Um, the player count is from one to five. Um, and you could do a solo with Otama and Otama deck, which you use two decks of cards um, there. It's kind of interesting. And then BGG says the ideal player count is three people. Um, you bring up something real quick, Josh, um, in our show notes about that player count though. Yeah, so um, I was just reading through our our player counts here and or our show notes here, and Bruce had mentioned or had put in here as a one to six uh, game, which is an easy mistake to make. Um, as you look at the game board, there are six starting player spots, um, but the base game comes with five players. If you have been around board games for a while were aware of Scythe whenever it came out, you will see a little bit of a pattern here with Stonemeyer games, specifically games designed by Jamie Stegmeyer himself. And that is um, he has a tendency to design a game with an expansion in the works already. Um, I would guess that there's an expansion coming for this at some point, which will add a six player, which is why you have those six starting locations. He actually, so in his monthly update to his subscribers on just from Stonemire games, um, it already lists a tapestry expansion and it's progress of in development, but it doesn't say what that means. Um, one quick note about the player count, though, is whenever I see a game is okay with two people, um, I always want to make sure. So for me, I don't necessarily like playing when there is a dummy player when you have to play three players. There is a dummy player when you are playing three players of this, but the only thing it does is moves. So they have one cube on each of those four tracks. It moves them up one spot on that track. So it can take away those landmarks. That's that's it. Um but getting into, I know we're going a little long on time, but there's a couple of things we want to talk about real quick and then our final thoughts. Um, so our, my buddy Conrad, and you know Conrad. Um, mm -hmm. just, uh, so Conrad is getting his PhD in mathematics. And um, he's played this game a couple dozen times already because he'll play it solo a bunch. But one of the thing Conrad, things Conrad did and talked to me about is he said, okay, well, given the luck element of this game, what is the range of scores that is possible if I were to get the most ideal hand at the right times? So he laid out all of the tapestry cards after he picked his civilization, as well as all of the technology cards. So obviously he broke the game to do this, but he scored 550 points. So he every at every stage where he could draw a card, he drew the card he wanted to, which is technically possible given the randomization elements. But 
most likely not going to happen. And he was playing against the solo player. So he was playing against someone else, quote unquote. Um, but he said, essentially, what it boils down to is your score is most likely, if you know what you're doing, you're going to get between 150 and 250 points. If you have a good luck of the draw or know how to play them in the right order to leverage things based on other factors in the game, you can then have a 200 to 300 point swing where you can, based on those cards, you can get up to 300 something or even as high as 500. And so just knowing that based on how, what cards you get and how you play them, you could have that kind of swing, which I thought is super interesting. And I'm like, I was proud of him for doing this and leaning into hmm. this. Um, but I'm just kind of curious your thoughts. Cause I hadn't talked to you about that. No. Um, and, and this is, this brings up two points to this game that I actually did want to point out one. Um, this is my first time playing a stone Meyer game solo. Every stone Meyer game has the Atama built into it. Um, this is the first game that I've actually played with that Atama and I, this could have been released as a solo game and I would have enjoyed it. Um, I really, really, really like the solo player of this and it actually lends me towards thinking that this might be okay at two players because you also use that shadow variant, um, when you play solo Hmm. in terms of the swinginess. I have seen a lot of posts in the Facebook group for this game about people scoring 300 to 400 points in a game. I have yet to see anyone break 150. And so it's interesting to me that you say that a good score is between 150 and 250. I believe you. I look back on every game that I've played and think, oh, there were some choices that I could have made better at different points. But the idea of getting to 300 points is mind boggling. You would need to, in my opinion, be very lucky or very, very, very good at this game. And I get it. There are, and I I wanted to mention this very briefly. A lot of the negative reviews towards this game have said that it is broken or unbalanced. And I will again refer listeners to Rodney Smith, Rodney Smith's video on balance in a game, because I think it is very poignant, very accurate. And he says everything that I think I could say as it relates to balance in a game. Um, I haven't played this game enough to know whether it's balanced or not. But there are definitely civilizations that are easier than others. Yes, yes, yes. There are civilizations. And the last time I played this, I was playing with some new people. And so there were seven civilizations that I just took them out. I didn't make them options for players to even potentially look at or choose because I knew that those civilizations are not going to be good for a first time player. Yep. Um, and I just played with the most simple, basic civilizations that I could find. Um, and everyone ended that game within 20 points of one another because everyone was at a relatively equal playing ground in terms of their experience with the game. And, the civilizations that they were dealt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I will. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just wanted to kind of point that out. Yeah, that, that makes there sense. Is that piece to this game. And so on that note, so in Rodney, Rodney's video, and again, I'm g- highly recommend, I'm going to put that in the show notes. So just click in the podcast app and you can go watch that video on the balance. Um, so Rodney taught this game, I think it was something like 12 times to 12 different groups of people while on the BGG cruise. And he analyzes what that was like and what people's perceptions of things were in the game. But then also talks about the fact of how some people talk about terraforming Mars. And so depend like this one player talks like, Oh, when we play, we really don't do stuff on Mars. We really focus on our engines and then we get to Mars later and do that stuff. Or there's other, he's like the same player then went to another group and was like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. 
you're all going really fast to try and colonize Mars and terraforming Mars. And that's not how my group usually plays. So depending on how your group usually plays can factor a lot into this. And just to point that out. Um, so I think it's going to be really good. Just let's pull in some quick, not go through all of them, but some quick notes for some, from some BGG posts that we saw. Um, so this one's from Miko, who's M-Sari, M-S-A-A-R-I on BGG, wrote that this game is unfairly wrong, long with five players. I would advise against playing the game with five players, um, especially your first time. If you do expect the game to take three or more hours, if you really want to do that. Um, I agree with this. Um, I would really recommend playing this game three or four players, personally. Yeah, I I will say I there there are two parts to this. Yeah. I don't think three hours is an unreasonably long time to play a game. Agreed. Personally. Right. Um, but there are people who certainly do think that way. Right. I do think that this game is not a game that is worth playing that that the enjoyment dies out when you're playing for close to three hours. Yeah. Um I disagree with BGG. BGG says three players is the ideal. I think four is the ideal. It Same gives here. you the open board. Um, it gives you the opportunity to do more expansion. So I like the four player count better than the three. That's just me personally. I would agree. I don't think five players is the proper count for this. Game. Yeah, especially your first time. And if that's more your thing for your game group, go for it. But like, Four players words out for me too. Um, so then we've got uh, Koala Guy uh, four uh, forty five sixty six as uh, Sean. Um, he go he writes. Do you have a worthless tapestry card in my hand? Find a way to get a better one. Did you draw another bad tapestry card? Find a way to get another one. Do you have a handful of tapestry guards? Well, then you better make sure the military track or the science track are your priority, so you can discard them for points before the game ends. Change your plans, buddy. That's his words. Echoed 100%. Um, most of the complaints I've seen about this game are, are are related to the tapestry cards or the civilization cards, and I already talked about how to mitigate that. Um, but the tapestry cards, there are ways to get new tapestry cards. There are ways to... And, and realistically... There are no bad tapestry cards. There are just tapestry cards that are bad for your specific situation. Correct. Find yourself a new one or, you know, change your strategy to accommodate the tapestry card that you have. You know, I had a I, I, I was just playing with uh, somebody who who did that. They, they had a handful of tapestry cards, thought all of them were terrible and then in the last round, because of the tapestry card they played, they were able to score over 100 points. Wow. Because they They're situational. sat there yeah. and processed, how can I adapt to the situation I'm put in? And I think that's where the theme in this game strives. Mm -hmm. No civilization succeeds through stagnation. Yep. Yeah. You can't. The, you have to yeah. adapt. And that is what this game, I think, challenges challenges you to do is change your plans, adapt to the situation you're put in. Yep. And honestly, there's life. I'm just going to call that. Um, yeah. The last one we have from BGG. So we got Pixel Crow. That's PXL Crow says um, it's a pretty light game. And if you're looking for a brain bender like Gaia Project or Black Angel, uh, then keep looking. But that lightness means it's going to be easy to understand and easy to play quick. Um, it's not going to start a fire in your board gaming group like Scythe did for our group, but we like it just fine. Yeah. Um I, I, I somewhat agree, somewhat disagree. Okay. Um, I somewhat agree in that it is not Gaia project. It is not black angel. It Correct. is not a heavy Euro game. The complexity here, you're talking about middling. I actually think BGG rates this overly complex. It's a four page rule book. There's not that much to know the complexity comes from the decisions that you make. The complexity comes from being able to adapt your strategy mid game 
because of the situation you find yourself in. That is what makes this game, I think, a little bit more interesting and a little bit more fun. Um, it's not the best designed game in the world. It is not Scythe. I think Scythe, personally, for me, is one of the best designed games ever. It's not that. But it is a good game. It is easy to teach. I think, on average, it takes me 10 minutes, 15 tops, to teach this game. An hour and a half to two hours to play. And and it, it fits that niche very well. It is a mid-weight mid-length game that I think is pretty good and has some really great, interesting decisions to make. Agreed. Um, and I actually think, I think you're 100% right in terms of, yeah, the rating might be low, but I think they're accounting for that complexity of layering of the cards within that rating. Um, mm-hmm. But also like something about this I didn't necessarily cover was, so although, yes, you're playing against other players, they're not going to take away your actions except for takeawaying landmarks. So you're constantly engaged in trying to figure out your plans and you got the ability to do that. Um, but I also think in touching on your point and I couldn't agree more like this, these are different games like Gaia projects is a different game from black angel, etc. cetera. Um, if you like Gaia project, you might not like black angel because they're different games. Um, and so same thing goes within this and other games. So it by itself is really trying what we're trying to go with, but did want to just bring this one up since it was there. Um, so this all being said, Josh, it's time for us to go into our final thoughts. Closing thoughts here. I, I, I like this game a lot. It is pretty consistently in my game bag. It is right now really the only game that is making it to my solo table. Um, you know, there I could go on to a tangent about my solo games, but We'll do an episode about that. Sure. Um, This is a good game. And it is a game that I I don't know that I've had a great experience playing based off of the people I've played with. And I'm trying not to discount the game for that. But the reason why I like this game is because every time I've played it, I leave the table and find myself three, four, five days later still thinking about that game, still processing what did I do that I could have done better? How could I have fixed this problem for myself? Could I have adapted in a better way? And that, I think, is why I like this game, is I have not left the table thinking I got screwed because of luck. I have left the table thinking my luck wasn't great, but I could have adapted better. I could have done better. And so how do I improve for the future? Is this, do I think that this game deserves to be at the top of anyone's 2019 game of the years? No, Wingspan is by the same publisher and Wingspan tops my 2019 game of the year. It's phenomenal. This isn't that, but it's good. It's interesting. And I think it gets a lot more flack than it deserves because of some of the things we talked about in terms of the marketing, in terms of the swinginess, in terms of the, people not wanting to adapt to a given situation. Yeah. So that's really well said. Um, to talk on some things that you didn't talk on, but also not just have our <laughs> listeners hear the same thing again. Um, so for me, is this a game I own? No. Is this a game I will pl- I plan to buy? No. Is this a game that, because it will also context other people in my game group who I gay play games with all the time have it and like Josh are keeping it in their game bags and bringing it out 
So I don't have a need to go buy it, but I also don't feel a need to have to own it myself because I know I'm going to be able to play it if I really want to, but at the same time, I'm not going to turn down an opportunity to play it when somebody asks, like, hey, let's play Tapestry. I'm going to be like, yeah, let's absolutely do that. Um, Now, as far as the game goes, now, at the end of that, have I been thinking, well, I got screwed because I didn't get such and such a card or things like that? No. Um, Same way as Josh, like, that's not what I'm thinking. What I am thinking in those moments, and I've sat there and like said and like processed, is what could I have done? And I want to understand what choices you made better so I can be better moving forward. And I actually sat at the table because I finished, and somebody else had like four more turns. And so the rest of us kind of talked through like what kind of choices did they make leading to this point and how did, were they able to do those things? Um, and so really it comes down to being able to take in information and adapt on the fly, but also plan your stuff out and manage your resources. But also like this is a game and this is a thing for me. I table presence does have an impact for me and theme coming out. There's not much theme, but being able to have my little capital city and be proud of the little thing I built is really cool to me. Um, and I like having that sense of accomplishment or being able to take a photo and things like that. And so if you like that kind of thing, you definitely should probably try and play this. Um, that all being said, if you are interested in buying this, absolutely 100% do not overpay for this game. Do not pay for anything but MSRP or less, just in case you're getting it from somebody else. Um, This game is currently out of print. There's another print coming. So just wait and you'll get it. Uh, Because I still see, similar to Wingspan when that came out, people overpaying even to buy used copies of this game, paying more than MSRP. Don't do that. You do not need to do that. Get yourself a brand spanking new copy you'll be fine. Just, just give it a, give it a little bit. Um, go on Stonemeyer's website. You can pre-order it, um, as well. So just go on there, do that. I just hate when, um, some people in our hobby are just unknown and just like, Oh, it's out of print. So I have to overpay. It's like, no, 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 no. Like you're going to be able to like, don't worry. Just, yeah, you'll be fine. And, and just a quick note on here. If you are interested, um, you know, as we record this, uh, the, reprinting is will be released and actually it's not even the reprinting technically this is the official printing yeah everything that we have up to now is the pre-order um the official release of this game is november 15th <laughs> yeah. you're you're it's right around the corner do not overpay for a game that will be released in a couple days yeah. just or wait. it's probably already on the shelves yeah yeah yeah. So just, just give it, give it some time. I, I agree 100%. Good call, Josh. So yeah. So do I enjoy tapestry? Yes, I do. I had meaningful choices. It made some really fun exchanges with my friends. So yeah. Is it a civilization game? No. Does it need to be a civilization game? No, it doesn't. Um, it just needs to be tapestry. Um, and I just think it got all this blowback is honestly, I really think from, like you said, um, it's not a civilization game. It's a civ themed game. Um, and so from that, if that interests you at all, go check it out. Um, a lot of people have it, (laughs) Uh, so go check that all out. Um, but any kind of closing thoughts besides the game, just for listeners, Josh? No, no. Um, you know, I think, I think we've pretty much hit everything here. It's, it's an interesting game. It's worth playing if not purchasing. I think Bruce, was right on that is that if you can find someone to play it play it and in most i would recommend this in most games i think one of my biggest regrets in a lot of games that i don't enjoy is that i purchased them without trying them try a game and find out how much you like it before you go and spend a bunch of money on it same thing with tapestry um check it out uh if it sounds like something that might interest you i really enjoy it uh and and yeah you know the point of this game this hobby is to have fun and and find the things that you enjoy and challenge yourself to enjoy new things but don't overspend on something that just because of everyone else enjoying it or everyone else liking it Um, find the things that you like and and pay what you think they're worth and hopefully 
that will have a positive impact on your life. That was beautifully stated, Josh. Um, so with all that, we're going to bring this episode to a close. We hope that you like this kind of new format of having an episode directed just towards a single game. Actually, it's an, our old model that we're finally bringing back. Um, but thank you so much for listening to Board Game Impact. Again, if this is your first time listening or if you haven't done this already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so that way you can hear more often about the game experiences that we're having and so that way we can help you make unique and awesome impacts and positive impacts on your gaming group as well as yourselves. If you have any questions or if you want to like submit something for us to talk about or uh, if you have some comments or things that you see on BGG or elsewise, please email them to us at boardgameimpact.com. Please make sure to tell a friend about Board Game Impact so we can continue to grow. That being said, while you're over there to subscribe, please do leave a comment because I do read through all those comments as that really does help out the show. And thank you so much to all those who have already done that. Uh, But honestly, with all of this, just go out there, make fun choices, go out, have fun, but most importantly, also have a positive impact on the world.